Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. Oh, man, this is a good one. Uh, So I've been friends with Martin Buckley since 92, maybe? I want to say 91, 92. We met on a baseball field. We had a lot of grand old times together in high school. And we used to go to a lot of baseball games together, minor league baseball games, and then also major league baseball uh, spring training games in Florida. And we became kind of obsessed with collecting baseball cards and also trying to get autographs from baseball players, occasionally other sports, but mostly baseball back in those days. And Martin was especially good at it. He just had and has a gift of being able to be in the right place at the right time and know the right people and get autographs. And uh, to this day, one of the the greatest acts of love I've ever received, the greatest gifts of love I've ever received is from Martin. So growing up, my, my baseball hero was Ozzie Smith. He was the inspiration for why I wanted to be a shortstop. He was a shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals in the 80s and 90s, started out with the Padres, but uh, in my opinion, the greatest shortstop of all time. I flew to New York, uh, Syracuse Airport, and drove to Cooperstown to see Ozzie Smith inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I never had his autograph, and I didn't really know how to get his autograph, and one time, Martin went to a game... I guess it was spring training. I don't really remember, but he was at a game or at an event or something. I think it might've been just, just, I can't remember what kind of event, but Ozzie Smith was there and Martin kind of held a baseball secretly and kind of just approached him and said, uh, Ozzie, my, my friend is your biggest fan. It would mean the world to him anyway. So I have a signed baseball. It says to Jason, best wishes, (laughs) Ozzie Smith. And so that one's near and dear to me. I've kept it. I still have it. And Martin, uh, he's now the owner of Palm Beach Autographs. Uh, you can go to palmbeachautographs.com and check out what they do. Uh, basically, he is one of the owners of that company. It actually, he has a lot of other side hustles and endeavors, but Palm Beach Autographs is the one we talked about most, where he helps curate autographs from uh, professional athletes that people can buy, and they also do a lot of charity work, so they auction off autographs for a lot of uh philanthropy stuff and humanitarian stuff that they do. And so Martin and I, we just talked for a really long time and kicked it a bit and talked about the good old days, I guess you could say, where we, as teenagers, would go to uh, baseball games and get try to get autographs and meet players. So if, if you like sports, you might like listening to this. If you like baseball, you might listening to this. If there's something in you that kind of understands why it feels special to have an autograph of someone that you respect, regardless of whether it's in sports or not, we get into that. Why is that? This might be of interest to you. Uh, Or if you just want to listen to a couple crazy people talking about uh, back in the day when they used to do fun stuff, you might really enjoy yourself. We talk about baseball cards. We talk about uh, autographs and just just general nerdy sports stuff. So I hope you enjoy listening to my friend of many, many years, Martin Buckley, talk about autographed sports memorabilia. Things about things, things about things, things about things.
okay, just in case this is usable. Uh, so I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you a link of, there's this site that's basically a way of reevaluating whether someone should be in the hall of fame. Oh, really? I want to see. And that. you know, so Murphy didn't get in and he's he no longer eligible. Can he get voted in on the veterans side? Can the I don't, vote I don't know. I don't know, but I just know that he was in the running long enough yeah. And he didn't get it, so he's no longer eligible. Just for the right, just in case you need the reminder, you probably know this, but this is a this is not his rookie card, but it's early. This is 79. He's a catcher slash first baseman. That's amazing. I love the yeah. C first base. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it it basically asked these questions. I'll let you, I'll send you the link that's like, was he ever considered by some to be the greatest in the game at his time? Was he ever the best on his team? Was he ever the best in his league? Um, did he did he ever get you know MVP, All Star, blah 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 blah? And Nominated what they one. yeah what they concluded was the answer was yes to almost everything, but he he had a short career and he only peaked for about five years and then he was basically done. Yeah. And they said the question was was he good enough for long enough? That's the question. I feel like you look at his numbers and cause he's what he's, he's look, well, that card wouldn't have, I think he has 498 home runs. No, no, no. Way less than that. I or think it's three. I think it's 398. 399. So he's just off 400. That's what it was. Yeah. He's not. So if he would have, if he would have done what most of these guys are doing now, which is when they're in their mid thirties, they're still going. He was done already when he was like yeah. 32, he, when he was like 32 or three, he was done. Yeah. So if he would have just stuck the with Rockies, it, right. Yeah, if he would have just stuck with it and just hung in there and got 10, 15, 20 home runs for another half decade, yeah. he'd probably be in. But even still, I wonder what I hate about sometimes with the conversation of Hall of Fame for all sports, specifically talking about this, is he he, dom he dominated long enough. He has two MVPs, correct? Yeah, that sounds right. I know it's two, at least two, but yeah, it's probably only two. You know, two. 500 home runs used to be the sure shot you're a Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. you know he's i think i think you're right i think it's 398 so it's like you're talking 400 400 home runs i don't know man i feel like here's when, another thing they said uh there were no other teams in the southeast except the atlanta braves and they stunk that's not his and they, fault and they stunk imagine if he had other guys that they couldn't pitch around him as much oh too um but he what he represented baseball in the entire southeast region yeah, because it, it was just it, like down here, people were either Braves fans or Cubs fans. Right. So there were no there were no Rays. There were no Marlins. They didn't exist. So you have 65 average, 2011 hits, 398 home runs, 1,266 RBIs. But dude, seven time all star. So when I look at that alone, I'm like, OK, you dominated your decade. I think he, I think if you only looked at his stats, his number is on the on it, somewhere in the gray area but then if you take into account all that he represented and that he in his time dominated because if you only look at stats it's hard because stats change different generations and stuff but you know and of course i was a fan of his so i'm obviously going to pull for him but the guys i always kind of look at of like should they be in like i always go back to tony, like tony perez has he's a 279 hitter 2,700 hits, so they're in the same ballpark. 379 home runs, same ballpark. 1,652 RBIs, same ballpark. 
seven-time All-Star, no MVPs, but he was on those on the big red machine. So because he was on a successful team that produced championships, he gets in based off of what Joe Morgan and John. And what a and all those what guys. a good comp. That's a perfect comp to look I at. I go to I usually for for Murphy, I go to Tony Gwynn, or excuse me, not Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn, obviously. I go to Tony Perez and I go to um Jim Rice is the other one. Oh yeah. And it's like and Jim didn't get Jim faced a long time because he wasn't nice to the media and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully the I think the veterans committee can vote in a few years. I bet you Dale will get in on the veterans committee. Because mm-hmm. you know how they can vote in the old timer guys? Uh-huh. Like, like you remember how Mazeroski, it took Bill Mazeroski all that time? Yeah. He, he just got in like five years ago. So he's, he's Giants win the pennant. No, he's uh, the he's the Pirates. He's the oh one. right, right. He like the, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Rounding, yeah. And then um, Clemente's at home waiting for him. And oh god, it was so good. Yeah. Uh, all right, so got some. I got a Hank Aaron card. I've got Whitey Ford, Reggie Jackson, Roberto Clemente. This uh, year, Roberto. You know who that's Walker's named after, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, that's his last. That's his last year. Yeah, and it shows exactly three thousand hits on the back. And yep. I like how it's like out of all that they could have picked, that's the shot that they. I think it's oh, so great. I love that photo. I love that. Uh, card. That's probably my favorite Clemente card. To be hundred percent. Eighty-two, eighty-two. Don Russ Ripken, which is a fun oh, one. He looks real one. young there. And then just a slew. I mean, like however many Ozzy Smith cards this is. Oh yeah, <laughs> that many. Um, and I was that way with strawberry. Reason, your guys, your guy had a better career than mine did. Uh, and I don't know why. I, uh, you Ken still Griffey have your Ozzy Smith signed baseball? You remember I got him to sign that baseball oh, of for course. you? Yeah, of course. Awesome. I have it it's sitting on our bookcase. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember telling him, I was like, this is for your biggest fan. I yeah. And book. I was actually that, you know, I, I remember I just never had it. And then I, my guess is the reason he went for it. Cause I remember you, you hid the ball under your arm and you walked up to him and it was yeah. like, it, he wasn't signing right then. My guess is the reason he was cool with it is because he personalized it. And therefore it's not as much of like that um, financial part of the game, you know? The, yeah. Could have been he just said to Jason, you know, best wishes, I think best wishes. Yeah. I, also somewhere along the way, I collected a bunch of Ken Griffey junior cards. I don't know why, but because he was the man. And the one on the front, that my favorite one, it's probably worth next to nothing. It's him and his dad. It's this is actually a Ken Griffey senior card. That's awesome. Um, that's so I so put on the top. Really went back to back. Yeah, dude, that's one of the best stories there. And then what else did I? Oh yeah, for no, I have no reason whatsoever. I ended up accidentally accumulating this many Nolan Ryan cards. Oh, no, <laughs> I don't know why, but I kept them. The I love those. That's the. Um, the studios let me see the top one i just saw a glimmer of it it's the yeah, studio. studios yeah <laughs> i was like wow these cards are amazing studios uh, and somewhere i have his autograph and then i have did you get him on that little black and white photo that we got him on didn't we write to him yeah we never i never heard back from him <laughs> and then now i have now i have this is a ball that i got from when wing when winget just won the world series won the national oh, championship awesome. 
So they were really sticklers about all the foul balls. Only little kids could get them. And then they go to the concession stand and get a free you something. Stole one from a little kid. Yeah. I, I kicked him. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, uh, it, a foul ball went over and landed. It hit the, uh, hit something and landed on top of the Wingett's dugout and just stayed there. And no one went to it because it was, there was a roped off section. You weren't allowed to go there. And yeah. it just sat and it just stayed there. It was on the game that they played to get into the final game. And um, I just cut, kept an eye on it and no one ever got it. And when the game ended, and when the game's over, it's sort of like everyone's like, hey. So I just walked right past the rope and got the ball. <laughs> just, like, just like, yeah. So I'm keeping that. You can't that take that thing. old uh, autograph chaser fan out of us, right? I know. Cause it's like my, my roommate, one of my roommates from Wingate is the head has been the head coach there. And I was just like, I'm just going to play. If somebody says something to me, I'm going to say, I'm an alumni. I played on the team. My, yeah. my friends with the head coach and I'm not giving the ball back. <laughs> yeah. no, that's, that's a great keepsake, man. It's I mean, like it's... majorly scuffed. Everybody knows it's never re-entering a game. So it's gone. It's mine. I will pay you if needed, but I'm not yes. giving it to you. <laughs> right. Because some things are, yeah. Uh, I remember, let's talk about some memories of when sure. when this first became an obsession for you. It's a good way of saying it. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, the business part we'll get to later, but before it was a business, why did this mean so much? That's a really good question. Um, in... I can trace it back. Uh, we were talking about Daryl before. So I remember in, um, in 1997, um, uh, my buddy, Mike Lacone, his, uh, he and his dad were going to a, uh, a baseball card show at the, at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. And Daryl Strawberry was going to be there signing autographs. And it was $12.50 to get his autograph. Isn't that such a weird, I think I have the tickets uh, stub somewhere. And I remember my mom had given me like um, $15 for Valentine's Day. So back hey, then. In 97? 87. Okay. I was going to say, yeah. 87 yeah. sounds more right. Like it. Yeah. yeah. $12. So I, I remember, um, so I'm, uh, I'm 11 years old. Yeah. I, I love Daryl Strawberry, right? They're right. coming off the World Series. So I said, yeah, I'm going to go. And I asked my mom and she said, yes. And so I took my $15 from the uh, Valentine's Day gift, went to the autograph signing. And I had a, I had a baseball, I had a little league baseball that I would rub during the Mets games. And I thought it would give them good luck that I would just sit and just rub. I never used it, never hit it, never threw it. I would just sit there during the games and rub it. So I brought that ball. And I remember Mr. Lacone was like, do you want me to buy you like a brand new baseball? And I was like, no, no, no. Like this was, like how special that ball is for you. This ball was for me. And so I paid 1250. I had Daryl sign it. And I don't know, it was something about that moment, like meeting him, having him mm -hmm. autograph the baseball, shake my hand, getting the chance to like meet at my time, my hero. Uh -huh. And so then I moved from New Jersey in 90 and um, I can remember my mom and Bob, you remember, or, or Bill, excuse me, remember Bill? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. So my mom and Bill dropped me off at Flutie Field one day. And they came home, they came to pick me up at the, after practice. And they had, they had tickets for all these games in Vero. Mm -hmm. And it was going to those games in Vero Beach and bringing very similar something. Hold up what you just had. The baseball? No, the, uh, that, that with all your baseball cards in it. Oh, oh, like a, like a case like this. I seriously had that 
the the, probably this green. It might have even been this green. Right. With my baseball cards in there. And I would wait for the guys to come out. And, you know, I'd I'd look in there and I had them all alphabetized. And, oh, you know, here comes Eric Davis. And I'd pull out the Eric Davis card and he would sign it. Man, I loved watching that man play. He was amazing. And so remember he used to put he used to put dip inside of his chewing gum. Yes. (laughs) And just never stop working it in his mouth. Do you remember? uh, So I don't know who it was. One of the guys we played baseball with brought a thing of chew to a batting practice. It was on a Saturday and and it was from Mel High when we were. Was it Billy Heath? Might have been Billy Heath. And I thought Eric Davis mixes it with bubble gum. So I'm going to mix it with bubble gum. So I take it and I put it in my mouth and I start recipe for vomit right there. Dude, (laughs) It was probably a hundred degrees outside for our batting practice. All of a sudden it was 400 degrees. I threw up all over the place. I was like, I'm never doing this again. My my first dip ever was American Legion travel team. And I was the youngest guy on the team. I was 15 (laughs) and I wasn't playing much because they were all 18. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, one of the, I can't remember his name, but the catcher goes, Ingi, you ever dipped? I was like, no. He goes, you want some? And I was like, all right. And it was Copenhagen. So I'm 15 years old. I've never done it ever. I do Copenhagen. And immediately starts spreading through my mouth and I can't keep it there. And I'm just trying my best. And then I, uh, I was felt really lightheaded. And once somebody goes, you should lay down and just lay down and relax for a second and I woke up like two innings later and I was like drool it was like coming out of my mouth like drooling out of my mouth and the coach I'll never forget I didn't I didn't hear this but they told me afterwards that the coach was like really mad that I was sleeping until one of the guys told him well he just took his first dip <laughs> and he was like okay just let him rest <laughs> that's amazing I used to put I used to do whether it was chewing tobacco or just bubble gum, which is obviously healthier. Yeah. I used to mess with it a lot, pretending I was Eric Davis. Okay. Yeah, I would just like, maybe I'll hit better. Yeah. Which of course, he used to have his bat like right in the middle. If you're not fast, if you don't have really strong forearms, like I, then what that is, is you really suck at hitting. If you try to hit like him, if you're not him, same with Sheffield. If you try to, if you try to pretend you're Sheffield and you're not Sheffield, you're going to be bad at hitting because <laughs> he, he, the fastest freaking swing in, that I've ever seen. He slowed it down on purpose, right? Yeah. They, that was his timing mechanism. So I've gotten to know Gary. That's the cool, that's, that's the full circle thing about all this, Jason. I bet. Is like now I, I look at my wife sometimes and I'm like, if I walked up to 10 year old Martin and whispered into his ear, like what as I'm going to do these baseball cards, like one day you're going to like be friends with hey, that guy. You're going to play golf with him and just kick it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I asked Gary about it and he literally, that's what it was when he was with the Brewers. Brewers. Yeah. His hands were so fast, he was ripping everything foul. Foul. So they had to slow his hands. Can you imagine being that fast and strong? That fast, that you can't wait. Against a major league pitcher, mind you. I could do it against a 10-year-old lobbing a ball to me, but not (laughs) real stuff. You and I, would, you know, we'd face these big guys in Little League in high school. We'd be like, all right, I need to choke up and try to hit the ball back up the middle or right field. Oh, my hands are too fast. I'm going to see the ball too clearly but I'm just going to rip it fast. Did he ever, did he, has he ever admitted to purposefully botching some ground balls with the Brewers? So he'd be traded. Cause I heard that as a rumor. I've heard that rumor. I've never had the guts to ask him. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> hey, it's not a bad play. The Brewers were pretty brutal back then. Yeah. I think he uh, went I out loved of pressure, like, every play. major league team at yeah. that point, though. Like, that guy played for – he played for everyone, which is a pretty cool career when you look back. But what? But going back to, like, okay, you, you got to touch something and connect with this person, but why did it become more than just about Daryl Strawberry? Why was it, like – go to games with index cards and baseballs and Sharpies and pens and even guys you hadn't heard of. And you just get a chance to respect them and watch them play and get them to say something. Why, why beyond strawberry? Um, I think, yeah, that was the first one. Then going to spring training games and um, it was, you know, you and I, you and I are, were so similar. I think that's our friendship bond, you know, bonded or started around baseball and our, deep love for it and just wanting to be closer to it. And so I think what it was for me was from a young age being like, you know, I can go to these games and I have their cards and I can, you know, go meet them and get an autograph, get a picture with them and sort of have a more unique experience than just watching the game. I loved watching the games, but it almost in a weird way made made there feel like there was a personal connection. Like, of course, even if it was just very, very briefly, like, you know, oh man, I've always loved Don Mattingly. You know, I mm-hmm. got to meet him. I got to hand him his big, you know, card. He autographed it, handed it back to me. It was like, it, it just, it would be almost like people that probably, you know, love a, a movie star or an actor or an actress and watch all of their movies and then get a, that opportunity. I think that it, that's what it was for me. It was just gave me sort of like, almost got you like in the, mm-hmm. in the ropes there a little bit. And, uh-huh. um, and then the collector side of me right so I always collected baseball cards well now I'm collecting autographed baseball cards and for anyone that's ever collected uh you sort of almost sometimes become like borderline obsessive with it so it's like if you have this well yeah it's great I have that but now I need to get this and now I you know and you and I would do that we would go through all of our cards and we need to get you know whether it's the studio card or the upper deck some people really get carried away and they'll try to get you know everything but for me Uh it was about getting all of my favorites you know just yeah you know, each one of my favorite players, whoever it may be. What are some of the memories that you have from back in our early to mid nineties when we're chasing down those autographs? I mean, uh, me and you specifically, I mean, you and I would traipse around Dodger town pretty much every weekend that the Dodgers were in town. Either your mom would be driving us down there. My mom would drive us down there. Thank goodness. And drop us off. And, you know, um, you know, waiting in line to, you know, get Eric Davis, uh, Brett Butler. Eric, I mean, you remember, like, how cool is it? Like, you know, we still joke about it now, but, you know, we walk up to Eric Karos and start mm-hmm. asking him questions. And then here's the rookie of the year giving us fielding, you know, teaching us. I never forget that. That moment somehow stuck with me. Um, I don't even remember if you got his autograph in that moment or not. I might but, not have. I think that it, probably us just asking questions about. But I remember the look on his face is there was a lot of people and they're like, Eric, 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 Mr. Karras. And, and he wasn't, he was ready to, you know, they're at work and some days yeah. it's convenient for them to do that. And some days they're not in the mood. Absolutely. And, and he wasn't rude, but it was very obvious, at least in my memory, it was very obvious he was ready to leave. Yep. And he had, everyone was calling for him and he just turned around and started walking. And you said, do you have any advice for first base? And he had this smirk on his face and he turned around and he was like, now this is worth doing. Like it was different than just, will you sign this? Will you sign this? It was like a a kid that wants to know how to be better at first base. And he was like backhand everything. And then then he put his glove on. You remember? I don't remember that. Yeah. He slid his glove on and he, and he, and he kind of was like, yeah. And he kind of showed us. 
And, and I think, you know, it kind of happened and we sat there kind of wide eyed as kids, you know, and yeah. you think about it, it's like, he was probably only, I mean, what is he five, six years older, eight years older than us? Yeah. He that? was, he was very young. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, he walked away and you were kind of like, you know, me and you were kind of like, holy cow, like we just got, yeah. he just showed us yeah. how to, you know, that was awesome. this is a big leaguer. So all those moments, um, all those moments, um, you know, definitely I, I really got into, um, there's some really good ones. Like it's pretty cool now to be, you know, 44 and look back and think, um, I don't know if you were with me or not, but I remember going to uh, space coast stadium where me and you spent a ton of time. And, uh, I had brought a bunch of baseball cards. Remember how we would put them in the books? The, oh yeah. With the little corners. And oh, so yeah. I had nine cards for this, um, the first round draft pick for the New York Yankees. It was this guy named Derek Jeter. <laughs> and um, he was the first round draft pick. He had come out of high school from Michigan. And I remember I walked over and you remember Space Coast. I walked over, I leaned into the dugout. I saw him. I said, hey, Derek, can you sign? He comes out. He said, sure, I was the only one, Jason, right? Derek Jeter. So he comes over, signs one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And he flips the page and he looks at me and he goes, is this it? I go, well, I have some more in the car, but you know, I didn't want it. He goes, Oh no. He goes, are you staying the whole game? And I said, yeah. He goes, um, you know, just meet me out by the bus. So I did went out to the car, pop those out, put more in there, comes out after the game. Same thing. I'm the only person by the bus. He comes out, he signs all the nine cards, flips them. He goes, is that it? Do you, do you have any more? I'm happy to sign anything for you. And I said, that's really all I have. He goes, no lie. He goes, we're staying at that hotel right there and we're here for five games. So if you have anything else, he goes, you can just come to the game or go to the hotel, call my room and I'll come down and sign whatever. Oh so you, know, you look back on those moments, but like how many of those guys did we do that with? You know, there were Brian Taylor's and Todd Van Poppel's and, you know, yeah. so yeah, there's the, you know, there's those great moments where you look back and you're like, man, I wish I would have gone and taken him up on that offer. But um, you know, I had great moments with, uh, Vladimir Guerrero, Pedro uh, Martinez, you know, when he was Ramon's brother, when we would watch him pitch. Okay. I have a memory. <laughs> we were at the Wendy's drive through in Indy Atlantic. Okay. And Pedro and someone else, I can't remember. Did, was that the Dodgers? Was he with the Dodgers? He was with the Dodgers. I remember this. I totally forgot. So I, I want to say it's Gary Sheffield, but I might just be romanticizing that part of it. But I know yeah. it was Pedro. And they were in a turquoise Astro van. <laughs> yeah. I remember and, those. They would and, drive them around. And they went through the Wendy's drive through And we saw them. We were like, Pedro! And, and he gave it. He was like, yeah. Like, it, oh, man. I had Pedro. this one. My favorite Pedro Martinez story is very obscure, but you'll get a kick out of this. I'm, I'm down in West Palm. The Braves used to share a spring training facility with the, um, with the Expos. Um, so they, they both had, were at the same facility and me and my buddy, Frank, you remember Frank D'Alessandro? Yeah. Frank. Yeah. So me and Frank walk around the corner and we see Pedro Martinez this is when he's on the expos. We see Pedro, Vladimir, um, Ramon, uh, Oh, Henry, who was a Henry Rodriguez and Raul Mondesi. Those so, are some great names right there. I mean, you're talking <laughs> early nineties. That's like five. I mean, you're talking like that was big deal. Like now you'd be like, who are those five guys? But we walk around the corner and so we're like, oh man, like, okay. So we kind of get all of our stuff together. Cause we know once we walk up, people are going to know. So Vladimir was the big deal. So we went over and we're getting Vladimir. Frank ran to his car to like, go get like some magazines or something to get signed. And so 
we're getting everyone to sign. And there was this very narrow gate where like only one person could walk through from the clubhouse to the player's parking lot. Um, and I was standing in front of it and um, Vladimir was next to me signing a few things. So Frank's gone. And all of a sudden someone comes up behind me and just bam, right in my butt. So I thought it was Frank excited. Cause you, you know, I had yeah, held Vladimir sure. up for him. So I look over my left shoulder and there's no one there. And I look over my right shoulder like this and Pedro Martinez is running backwards, pointing at me, laughing, going, <laughs> goosed me, bam, like that. And I'm like, whoo. And he saw me and he's running and he's <laughs> pointing, laughing. You know? Unbelievable. So it's like those type of moments, you know, those little moments that as fans, you know, you and I had the great personality for it. We were outgoing, you know, we kind of... Um, I think it's more you than me. I was always afraid to try things and you were like, let's just go talk to him. Yeah. Let's just go ask him. Yeah, I was always, a. I still kind of live my life uh, by this. Like it's beg- better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. Yeah, so, right. You know, it put me in some unique situations and, and I look back on it fondly. And then, mm-hmm. you know, now, now I'm on, now, now I've, been able to take that passion and kind of turn it into a career, which I just feel so fortunate because I genuinely, you know, there's elements of work that come with it and stress, of and course. Like that, but I yeah. love my job. I never wake up and think like, oh man, I got to do this. Yeah. So, wow, man. That's, and so let's talk through why, why people would want to purchase autographed sports memorabilia. Cause we've been talking about, you know, asking somebody in the dugout or we watch them hit batting practice and spring training and then we wait for them that that's that's like a memory a personal memory but why would someone want to go into a store and pay money for someone else who got that autograph i've always wondered that i i literally created a business around it and i've always wondered it because you know i i think that's you know, I'm the one that got those items signed primarily, unless we get it from a company that we work with. But for the most time, yeah, yeah. You know, we do the autograph signings. I get it. So I think, I think what I've finally, I've been asked this question a lot, and I think where I've kind of landed is, I think it's unobtainable for some people, or yeah. they just don't want to maybe go through it. You know, like maybe they don't want to. So go. it seems unobtainable. Yeah, it seems unobtainable. or or very difficult. Yep. So. I love when we do um, like we just had four guys from the Bucks in our Tampa location, and we'll have them in. We'll you know we'll we'll get our autographed items done in the back room, and then we'll have a table. People, fans can come in. They can get an autograph. They can get a photo with them. They can get that same dugout moment in a more professional setting. They can get a it, nice. It goal. makes it obtainable because you can't go to the sideline and ask the Buccaneers for an autograph. <laughs> Like, hey, Tom, hey, Tom, like, it's just not going to happen. Not going to (laughs) happen. And this has nothing to do with the players being rude. It's just not the way it's set up. It's funny you say that. I was talking to a baseball guy um, the other day about how baseball and autographs kind of go to hand in hand. So you go to a baseball game, there's like areas to get autographs. Baseball is sort of romantic like that, right? Um, That's the first thing. The second thing is just like anything else with collectibles, like the cards. There is a there's a there's a, a monetary side to this now, and we've seen this massive boom, where like it's becoming harder and harder to have that moment. You know, you, when you and I were kids, we would go wait in the parking lot 
we'd go stand in the parking lot. We'd be like, this is Jeff Bagwell's car. We're going to wait for Jeff Bagwell to walk out. And then he's going to walk up to his car and he's going to sign his autograph. Well, those days are done for security reasons with good reason. And Mm -hmm. so you can't get really close like that anymore. Not only that, the business side of it has changed. When you and I were kids, um, you know, a guy would sign a contract for, you know, $2 million. And that was like, you know, Dan Marino would get $2 million. These guys are signing contracts for $150 million right now. So for a company to get somebody's attention for them to do an autograph signing, you know, they'll, they'll sign if they're out and about, or, you know, they'll sign if Mike Trout walks over and signs before games, every game and things like that. It's his prerogative. He should be able to, if he wants to, sure. But that's going to be, you probably have to be a kid for him to, if you're, if you're a grown up with a a book full of them, he's probably going to pass right by you. Right. (laughs) And then even on the kids going back to what you said before, the point you made about Ozzy Smith earlier, Right. So, he, you know, he'll, he, he, he might not, he might, there's what we call a ballpark signature. So he might have like a quicker MT, you know, ballpark. Cause he's, he's over there. He's trying to sign. For so many fast. Kids. Yeah. Yeah. He's trying to make as many kids happy as he can real quick, right before he has to go in and, and start the game. Whereas if he does a paid signing, he's going to sign maybe a nicer fuller signature. He's going to sign it in the sweet spot. He's going to use the yeah. right hand. He might not run with like an old Sharpie or something like that, uh-huh. but there's going to be a price tag that comes with it. And so if a guy is making $150 million on the field, you have to, to get their attention, to get them to give you 90 minutes of their time or two hours of their time to do an autograph signing. You have to come with a big number. You know, a couple thousand dollars isn't going to interest them. They're going to need big, big money. And so that's kind of driven this whole industry to where it is right now, where companies like Fanatics have, you know, guys, you know, a guy like Tom Brady, he brought up, you know, multi-million dollar contracts these guys have. Well, yeah, but it's, it, I'm, I'm guessing the only reason that that price tag is high is because they know that you're selling the autograph. Absolutely. They know that the item is going to be used for yeah. retail. It's, yeah. Right. It's They're different happy. than a kid at the grocery store goes, oh my God, are you Tom Brady? He's not like, I only get out of bed for $2 million, kid. He probably just signs it. But he, but to your point, he might scribble it so that it's not going to really be monetized as well. Throws a name on there. Yeah, because like mine that you got for me to Jason, best wishes, Ozzy Smith, will never be sold. No. <laughs> right? It'll just be, you know, 100, 200 years from now, someone will happen upon it and go, I wonder who Jason was. Oh, well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> I remember who Ozzy Smith is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is Jason. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, this Jason kid ruined this thing by having his name on it. Oh, well. Hey, I, have I ever told you this story about my dad meeting Mickey Mantle in the airport? No. So, yeah, my dad was in was on a layover, went to a bar and sees Mickey Mantle, which, as people found out later, that's probably pretty accurate. <laughs> you know, he was yeah, at the bar. Yeah, good so, place uh, to find him. Yeah. So, you know, he was, he was older already. Um, and so he meets him at the bar and my dad being kind of a quiet guy, you know, my dad was not necessarily a Yankees fan. Well, he was definitely not a Yankees fan, but as a, as a child in the forties and fifties, you can't really hate the Yankees. If you're listening to Mickey Mantle on the radio, you're going to love him. Right. So it was his, you know, baseball hero. So meets him in the airport, but my dad's kind of quiet and and he just said, hey, you know, I'm Tom. I know who you are. 
nice to meet you. Uh, they really enjoyed watching you. And they sat at the bar for a couple hours and had several drinks together. And, and he never asked for his autograph because he thought it would ruin the moment. Yeah. And then at the end of that, some older lady kind of came up and went, oh, my God, you're Mickey Mantle. Can I have your autograph? And then he kind of like looked at my dad and rolled his eyes and then looked to the lady and went, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And then my dad was kind of glad that he didn't ask for the autograph. So um, about, I don't know, five or ten years before my dad passed away, my mom and I gave him a Mickey Mantle signed baseball for Christmas or something. That's awesome. And, and it's still, you know, sitting at their house and I guess – me being an only child that means i'll inherit that ball later <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but uh but uh it's sometimes it's those like, moments are more special though yeah yeah and i think it, his child version of himself probably would have wanted the autograph but he was already you know 50 years old or something like that and he just said you know let's let that moment be what it is but i will say he still he still his face lit up when we gave him the signed ball for christmas though absolutely you know? So it's like, there's something about that connection for me. I don't have too many uh, autographs, but when I think of like, I bought that gets by Buckner one, that picture. Oh, yeah. um, and it's like something about that moment in history meant something to me. So then having a signature um, Mookie Wilson, Bill Buckner, the emotional, the, the emotional, my own memory but also it's kind of an interesting quirky thing to be like how dare you ask bill buckner to sign this <laughs> you know oh, oh you want me to write my name on the lowest point of my professional yeah sure i'd be happy to do that yeah yeah uh speaking of mookie do you remember when we had the pookie fan club pookie wilson baby pookie wilson i guess i'm assuming he never made it to the major leagues i didn't ever hear about it if he did pookie but. never made it but so pookie I think we thought he was related. Pookie wasn't, but you know who was? Was Preston. Oh, okay. Okay. Preston was related. Preston Wilson. And I think it was like, I don't even, I think it w wasn't even biological. I think they were like, um, he married in and he, he like, he uh -huh. was his stepfather. And Preston had a nice, um, Preston had a nice career, man. How he, in the world does, how in the world do you play professional baseball with the name Pookie Wilson and you're not related to Mookie Wilson? How is that even possible? I don't know. <laughs> he was amazing though. That was, those were some of the funnest times too, man. Then we we're in high school. So now these guys are basically just in, you know, just out of college. Some of them just out of high school. Yeah. And so then, you know, we're hanging out with them. Mm -hmm. Now we're, now we're at the same level. Yeah. Like, I don't, do you even remember, do you remember one of the guys that we got to know, um, on the manatees that like we, I think you came fishing with us one time where we went fishing with him out back. Um, and he was like a nobody back then, Kevin Millar. Oh yeah. I don't think I went fishing though. Yeah. Like yeah. we got, to, I mean, you know, he was just some, he was like some low A guy. He played well in low A, yeah. played well in high A kind of moved his way up and then Dude, I mean, now he's still involved and, you know, has wow. a broadcasting career and it's just, yeah, right. You know, it's like, dude, he, he was, was so cool. Yeah. He was awesome. You know, all those guys, uh, you know, that we, that all the, uh, who was the other guy that, um, that we loved, uh, Lou Luca. Yes. <laughs> Lou Luca. I mean, I haven't heard anyone name. say that name in a long time. Lou Luca. It's you the know, perfect baseball name. Us. We made them feel good. If you think back, sure. like we made them feel good. There weren't people waiting for their autographs. It was just us and, you know, hey, man, can we have a bat? Heck, yeah. No one's asking. Yeah. For oh, man. We used to get those slightly broken batting practice bats. Oh, those were awesome. Dude, we thought, like, 
we we would you remember we uh, got to know the equipment manager and like after yeah. spring you remember all those baseballs he gave us and all unbelievable that? we thought you might as well have given us you know a million dollars and uh you know all the spring training i mean he must have given us 500 base i remember we each kept the david sunblower seeds bucket for ourselves we each kept those yeah. and then do you remember we donated them to mel high and yeah like, oh, oh my and, gosh and you remember they were mad they were like well you need to donate softballs too and i was like i don't have 500 softballs yeah i don't have those what do we do about that i'm just trying to help wow man you're bringing up memories i, I know, me haven't too, thought man. about in a long time uh, <laughs> so, the Rolodex. so we you know i don't want to see behind the curtain exactly of how you guys do everything but um i'd like to know kind of the process in general of uh you connect with the player. Um, do you have to go through their agent? Sometimes, uh, you know, some guys, um, some guys, a lot of the current guys, if they're a bigger name guy, they're going to have a marketing company. They're going to have a, an agent that's handling all their deals for them. A lot of the former players that I work with, like I just, before this, I had a zoom call with, um, a guy that I've become really good friends with that always kind of makes me giggle. Cause I watched his whole career growing up, Charlie Ward. And so mm-hmm. I just, oh yeah i mean like we sat there Love and watched that. charlie ward play every college game when we were kids and you know uh he i mean we text we're friends and so i just yeah. work with charlie directly and so uh if i'm if i do a signing with charlie ward or danny warfel or steve spurrier or any of the former players i just reach out to them directly i say right. hey what's up you know um uh, i'm kind of i'm getting low on product you know, I, I'll probably have about 300 pieces. Can we find a day that's good for you? I usually travel to them unless they're going to be in the area. And then they come to the store and, you know, we'll have, um, we'll close everything down when we do a private signing and we'll lay out, you know, a stack of say, you know, 500 items. So it might be a, a stack of a hundred jerseys. And so there'll mm-hmm. literally be a hundred jerseys on top of each other. And then you know, a couple of hundred photos and then maybe, you know, 50 or hundred mini helmets and 50 big helmets. And then I literally just, you know, you can go on our social media and there's videos of me just pulling, you know, so he's sitting there writing his name, writing the Heisman, whatever it may be, pull it, sign the next one, pull it, sign the next one. And I pay them per signature. Yeah. You not only pay per signature, you're paying for all of that gear or all of the, all of the stuff that they're signing. So there's an That's- investment that you, you are not, I mean, you, there's a calculated risk, you know, there's going to be buyers, but at the same time, there's never a guarantee that anyone's going to buy these things. And so you're investing that it's more than hope. I mean, your experience tells you they'll buy it, but um, yeah, you kind of know, you know, your market and the guys that you work with, the best part is when you can work with guys like that, because they're not going to put you on the hook for like a thousand items. And a, you know, you don't have to have put like a huge cash layout, you know, going back to what we said before, like a lot, you know, if we're doing um, who would be a good example of uh um, back in the day, uh, probably about 10 years ago when we were doing this, we caught ourselves in the bad habit. Every market that we, we were in, we would get really excited about the first round draft pick. So okay. whatever, you know, if it was the first round draft pick for the, the Jaguars, you know, whether it was Reggie Nelson or Derek Harvey or the first round draft pick for the um, Miami down at the store in West Palm, we would always want to do the first round draft picks. Well, as we all know, not every first round draft pick you know, lives up to the expectation. So, you know, sometimes after two or three years, you're left over with all this product. So now, like you said, we take more of a calculated risk. We try to, you know, we know if we do a signing with um, Lawrence Taylor, 
we know we're going to be able to sell all of our Lawrence Taylor product because he's beloved by Giants fans. He's considered the yeah. greatest linebacker maybe mm-hmm. ever. And so we know it's like, okay, we're investing X number of dollars. That'll last us maybe a year, six months to a year, and then we can do another signing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if you're retired, one of the best ever, you're, yeah. As opposed to, I hope this guy pans out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, Mm -hmm. I'd rather pay a little bit more for them to pan out. That's where I'm at now. I'd rather pay a little bit more, more money, even twice, three times as much for them to be successful than to roll the dice. Because it's just sort of like so many times, you know, we've ended up with stacks of, you know, uh, um, uh, Patrick Ramsey items, you know, he was going to be the stud for the Washington Redskins. And, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds of items and he ends up on some obscure team and never really pans out. So where did those items go? So that's a great (laughs) question. For the longest time, they just were moved from one location to another. In hopes they would sell somewhere, right? Yeah, but then we got creative and we started this kind of wave that a lot of the industry has really adapted to. And and we weren't the first to do it, but we were definitely one of the first. And um, I said to to my guys, I said, listen, you know, this it's just taking up space. It's taping Mm -hmm. up room. It's it's not moving. You know, we're selling it at discounted prices. It's not moving. So what we started doing is we created a new line um, called Grab Bags. And mm-hmm. what we did is we took all of that sort of obscure inventory, and then we took a lot of good inventory, right? So let's say it was eight by 10 photos. And for the NFL, we'd say every, uh, you know, in, in this lot of 100 eight by 10 photos, you're guaranteed to get an autographed photo from a current or former NFL player. So we'd put in some Patrick Ramsey's, we'd put in some, you know, some other guy that got traded here, some other guy that got traded here. And then we'd sprinkle in some big hits, you know, some big uh, Lawrence Taylor, a Joe Montana, Dan Marino, right? So it's almost like opening packs. You know, you open a pack of cards, you you might not get, you know, "Ah, I got nobody in this one, but you might get a really, really good one in the next one. And so that's what we do with, that's what we did with a lot of that inventory. And now we're to the point now where we're actually Actually, we've had such a great response over the years to the grab bags that now we're doing autographs, signings with certain players with the only intention of putting them in our grab bag. I've got an idea. Have you ever thought about doing a whole uh, uh, a, a series of like you would like this is a whole grab bag full of number one draft picks? That would be a great one. We do. We so we have NFL. And then we'll have Heisman Trophy winner ones where you- Oh, there we go. We have Heisman Same Trophy. kind of thing. Some of them pan out, some of them don't. Exactly. They're all won the Heisman. Yeah. But, you know, there's some Johnny Manziels in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, we have Johnny. Hall of Famers. We do Hall of- Yeah, I know. We do Hall <laughs> of Famers. Um, my favorite one that you would love, I, I, I think it's the best deal of all of them, is uh, it's the baseball mystery grab bag, 50 bucks for an autographed baseball in a cube. And it's either a player that is one- multiple all or been to multiple all-star games a uh, a Cy Young winner an MVP Cy Young winner or or rookie of the year that's it absolutely that's fine it's like no or no not rookie of the year it's either hall of famer Cy Young MVP or multiple um all-star game all-stars yeah so for 50 bucks I mean a ball is 25 dollars yeah you're gonna get somebody fun that you're gonna remember their name and go oh that's cool 
and we put some big hits in there. I mean, we, we, we all, we'll drop a Trout in there. We'll drop a Giancarlo Stanton. We've dropped some really big, you know, Reggie Jackson's, you know, big mm. legendary names. And, you know, you, you know, you might get some random guy that was good, but he still made two or three all-star teams. He was still a solid. Yeah, just player. not, not as famous, but an amazing athlete, obviously to make yeah. all-stars. It means he was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. All-star team two or three times. You had a pretty good career. No joke. Not everything is based on hall of whether you're a hall of famer. It's like, yeah, it's, gosh, I can't, ima- can't even imagine. Well, I can't imagine, but just to become a professional athlete at all, let alone how you do once you're a professional is unreal. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're a phenom just to be able to be there. There's so yeah. few of them when you really think about it, when you, mm-hmm. when you think about, you know, there's 32 starting quarterbacks that's it in the nfl like 32 and 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 the fall off like how many of them are even like good yeah and last more than a few years and drop off yeah yeah which makes the guys like you know you know brady and aaron Rodgers and peyton manning you know those guys you're like it it just makes you really appreciate um yes how unbelievable it is to, you know, we might, we might not like them. You have to, at some point be like, man, we better embrace this because it's going to be over. Well, yeah. And some of the, we, we, you know, the, the contemporaries of Brady, in my opinion, there's a half a dozen guys that if it wasn't for Tom Brady, they would maybe be the greatest of all time. And uh, you know, Rogers being one of them, I think that it's like if Tom Brady had never played football, Aaron Rodgers might be the go or, manning or you know what i mean and so uh it's weird to think like not not the greatest of the time you played but almost the greatest of all time is a funny way of saying it (laughs) how many how many olympic swimmers got overshadowed by uh mike michael phelps yeah they would have been they would have had five gold medals and instead they have zero (laughs) ryan lochte could have had 10 gold medals yeah you know and you know meanwhile it's like you know like it's it's just you can go back to you know in our generation i i can't help but think it's crazy to think how many nba players charles barkley zero nba nba rings patrick ewing zero nba rings and it's all because of michael jordan yeah yeah like, uh, uh um carl malone yeah carl malone john john uh john uh pa- paxton paxton Paxson? Um Paxton. Nope. Who's the now I can't think of his name. You're talking about the uh the the guard that played with Malone? Yeah, what was his name? Um it's not Paxson? No, Stockton? it's um Stock Stockton. 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 Yes. John Stockton, right. Our dad brains are interfering with our uh, sports knowledge. Did I ever tell you that before I moved to Melbourne Beach, I lived in Virginia Beach for a year and a half? Yeah, I remember when you came down. It was a big deal. It was a big deal when English was coming back to Melbourne because you you went. No, from no, no. This is not. This is before I ever met well, you. So that. we moved. We moved to Tennessee for a year and a half, and then that's I moved back. Was. And that's what you're talking about. Yeah. And I'm. We met each other right when I came back when you tried to trick me at the at first base. That's that's the moment. <laughs> it was the pitcher threw over to first. I was. I had. I'd gotten on first somehow. I don't remember how. I'm leading off first. The pitcher throws over to pick. You know to get pick me off or whatever phrase you're supposed to use there and yeah. uh 
and it wasn't like an aggressive throw over, you know, I was back in time, but it was relatively high throw, but not too high, but you had already yeah. decided in your mind that you were going to pretend that it oh, really? passed you. <laughs> and so I went over and kind of, you know, touched first. I didn't have to dive back or anything. And then you jumped up. I heard it hit the glove, but you, and you went, get it, get it. And you like started running as if it passed you. And because I heard the, I heard the glove, I knew that it was a trick play. So I didn't move. And that was the beginning of our friendship. Cause it was sort of like, I like anyone that would have tried that. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I don't remember that. I yeah. mean, I remember doing that. I love that. So well, you and I got beginning. a lot of people out like that. You and I loved trick plays. I, I should tell you that my, you know, in college baseball at Wingate, I, you know, never, I was more of a defensive specialist. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying I couldn't hit for power. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I hung in there and, uh, and, and became a slap hitter. I knew, I knew my role. And um, yeah. uh, my claim to fame on, you know, among the guys I played with was that I got the same player out with the hidden ball trick twice in one game. Okay. yeah and it's like i'll take that over a home run any day because it's so like quirky so yeah. it's it's uh so he this guy gets on second base i'm you know, playing shortstop i don't remember how he got on second or whatever gets on second um balls in the outfield i get the ball back and i just never and i kind of do one of those things i keep it in my well, yeah, pitcher, you- the pitcher does the thing you the etiquette of what you're supposed to do and he kind of walks around, he takes, you know, ties his shoes or whatever. And um, keeping in mind with Division Two baseball, especially if it was not a weekend uh, conference game, based on budget, there were le- there less umpires than you would see on TV, right? So there were only two umpires. So there's home, Second, and then there's a guy in the field. And so I wanted to make sure that he knew I had the ball because there's no replay. And if I get this guy out and then he steps back on second before the umpire looks, he's going to be called safe, even if he was out. Right. So, so he, he's standing on second. I kind of turn towards the umpire and open up my glove to him showing the ball. And he kind of gives me the, he (laughs) nods his head silently. And, um, Anyway, so yeah, like the pitchers, the pitchers like tying the shoe and he's like looping around because you can't step on the rubber or approach the rubber or it's a ball. And he just does one of those like steps off the base and kind of does a couple swagger steps and looks around and I just tag him and just throw it to the second baseman, like throw it around the horn. (laughs) And the umpire, because he knew it, he he wasn't like, he he, he wasn't like, he's out. He knew it and he just kind of, he pointed at him and went like that. And he was, the guy was so mad. So he like slowly (laughs) jogs back. And I remember he was like kind of casually jogging and the coach was screaming at it. You better hustle back to this. You You know, Uh, anyway, so then, so then he, he gets on base a couple innings later and then steals second. Okay. So this time he steals second. It's not in the outfield and it all happened so fast and he was safe by a good amount, but I still made sure to give a tag because I wanted him to really kind of remember like I had the ball and I was active. I don't know why it made sense to me to like tag him kind of hard. I don't know why you that made sense to me. Tag, I did. I did. But for some, yeah. But for I some reason in my mind, tag. it felt like it's part of, it's part of the, what the manipulation I'm about to do. It made sense to go bam. Yeah. And, and then I looked at the umpire again and I immediate, cause he was looking down at himself doing like the dirt. I looked at him and I went like, I'll show you what I did. 
I sh- I looked at the umpire and I went like this. And I put it under my arm and he watched me. I went like this and I went like this to him and he just nodded his head. So I'm standing there like this and I'm like, cause you know, it bulges out so you can tell. So I made sure that my body was facing the, the guy who just told second. So he sees, he sees this side and he doesn't see the bulge outside. And he goes like this and he's standing on second. The pitcher does roughly the same thing, but a little bit different. He went to go talk to the third baseman. And the third baseman comes over a few steps, which might entice the guy on second to take a couple steps to see what happens if he can get over there. And he's about to step off second and he go like this and he looks at me and he like looks at me for a second. And I just open up like this and I went <laughs> and like giggled almost like, yeah, of course you should check. And he <laughs> takes it two steps off and I go <laughs> and, and I just touch him with the ball barehanded and I just go like this and then I throw it to the second baseman and he's like so deflated and they the coach took him out of the game no way so it was just like that's my trying to track him down right remember Uh, my friend humiliated you twice (laughs) and I was just sort of I knew my lane I knew I wasn't a power hitter but I could do little things like that and it helped the team those Those are two two outs. outs in one game that means a lot you know, dude, that's that shifts a game. That's like runner in scoring position twice. And here's a couple of things that I I love pro- those probably shouldn't. Man. I probably shouldn't admit this because it's a bit unethical, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's home home umpire, field umpire. That's it. Uh, late innings. We're up by one or two or something. So it's like we don't want anyone to score. And there's several guys on base. <clears throat> Pop pop up in that triangle of third base shortstop left field. Yeah. Who's going to get there. You know, it was going to land right around the foul line. Not sure if it's fair or foul. Nobody's calling it left fielder should have called it in my opinion. <laughs> and I'm like, He's I'm like oh. they usually should. Yeah. And I'm like sprinting to get there. So it wasn't like uh, you know, easy to run around. I'm like running. I dive right around the foul line I like land on the foul line and there's like chalk all over me it hits the heel of my glove and my body lands on it and it rolled underneath my body and was a rat around my belt and I'm laying on the ground keep in mind there's a home plate umpire and there's another umpire right around behind the pitcher I just held my glove up in the air (laughs) and everyone goes yeah and everybody like runs back to the dugout (laughs) And I, so then I like have to get up off the ground, like, so my glove's empty and I have to grab it around my belt and get up and like put it in my glove as I run back. (laughs) And I remember I go and I, and then I like roll it to the pitcher's mound. And I remember I go into the dugout and the coach goes, did you get it? And I go, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's the out. You nowadays you are fined. You're maybe even suspended like by the league because the, they would know that you lied and the, well, actually, I guess they would do a replay and they would realize that it was wrong. But yeah. if you got away with it and they found out later, now you're like a really dirty player. You oh, know what I mean? Doing that? Yeah. But in the nineties yeah. division two, no cameras, two umpires, take it when you can get it, man. You're not, cheating, you're, you're not trying, right? <laughs> and then another one was, I still sort of feel guilty about this, but it's like, uh, couple guys on base two outs this pitcher the pitcher i think he i can't remember who it was for but he was thrown in the low to mid 90s and i was really smoke, intimidated smoke 
and I had already grounded. I swung on the first pitch the first time and grounded out to the second baseman. And I knew that's about all I had in me <laughs> against him. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, he throws this hanging curveball that kind of went behind me a little bit. And I basically just jerked my body a little bit, dropped my bat and ran to first base. And the umpire just sort of went and pointed to first. Cause he just assumed I wouldn't have run to first unless it nicked me a little bit. Oh, it didn't cool. even come close to touching me. And it was because I knew the guy up that after me was going to do a better job. He got a base hit. We score a couple runs and it yep. was like, you know what? That's fine. That's like, I there's a certain level of baseball that that's okay. It obviously not major league baseball with cameras no. and stuff, but I would just, I try, I figured out if I could get away with it. And I did. <laughs> and then there was the opposite. You remember that? I love, it made me think, I don't know. You tell me that story. You remember that story of Albert Bell when he clearly like got hit and wouldn't go. Oh so yeah. He didn't want because he wants to hit. Yeah. Cause that's the, that's the opposite <laughs> of me. That's like, he knew he could hit a home run. <laughs> that guy was insane. Oh yeah. Oh, the, yeah. the thing that I was going to tell you there, uh, I lived in Virginia beach when I was like five oh, yeah. and six. I remember you telling me. In Virginia beach in the early eighties was a minor league baseball team called the Tidewater Tides. Oh dude. Lot. And I was, I was five. The Mets. And I saw Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry play when they were in the minor leagues. And I was five years old. And you know you're good when in the minor leagues, everybody's talking about both of you and how, yeah. where you're going to go. That doesn't happen too much where there's like uh, two guys on one minor league team and everyone's yeah. like, we just know this is going to, you know. I'm not sure if Dwight had the, had a nickname of Doc quite yet. I don't know if when that when that – nickname he had a short, i mean it's it's amazing because i mean i'd have to look back but wasn't he pitching in the i remember davy johnson in 86 coming out of spring training there by the way have you had a chance to watch the 30 for 30 the four part on the 86 mets yet no is it oh, great yourself a favor oh it's unbelievable yeah it's unbelievable um because that whole band of cat that whole cast of misfits and ne'er-do-wells um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so Doc, I think in 96, I think he was 19. Oh my gosh. You imagine 80, 86. 86. 86, sorry. Did I say 96? At 86, yeah. he was 19 years old pitching in Chase Stadium. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. And he's another example of someone who wasn't good enough for long enough. Well, I heard Bob Costas say it best one time, and it's so sad, but it's so true. He said there was a point in the 80s where if you said name one pitcher and one hitter that are definitely going to the hall of fame, the answer Those was Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden and, you know, both battled addiction and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, severely. Um, but, uh, you know, they left a lot, you know, you know, doc, um, you know, Daryl, Daryl ended up winning. He won one with the Mets and two or maybe three with the Yankees. I know he won, oh. I think he won two, maybe even three championships with the Yankees, but definitely oh. two. How about yeah. that? And then Doc, you know, Doc basically uh, kind of bounced around, but he did throw that no-hitter with the Yankees and, you know, mm -hmm. kind of, you know, ended on a high note. Um, so he was lucky to get that second chance. He was unreal to watch. He was unbelievable, man. Well, they both were. Strawberry, when Strawberry would steal second base, his legs were so long that it looked like he was jogging and not sprinting but it was sprinting and it was just like, why isn't he hustling? It's like, he is, it just looked, he's just the, the, the strides are so long. 
yeah, to see somebody that long, um, you know, cause he almost had that, you know, he had that, he looked like a, he looked like a basketball player athletically, uh-huh. but yeah. he was so, I mean, he had a cannon from right field. Um, he ran, he hit for power. I mean, he did it all. He was five tool and um, yeah. Yeah. You need to definitely check out that 30 for 30. I want really to. Good. Hey, before we wrap it up, I want to talk a little bit about how this, in your mind, connects with philanthropy, with connects with helping, helping people. Uh, I know that part of what you do personally, as well as your business is giving back to the community. How, how is that? Where is that connection with autographs? Why did that happen? Um, Well, I'm, I'm a big believer, first and foremost, that you should you should find out what it is that you love in life. You should do what you love, chase your passions, uh, figure out a way to make money at it, figure out a way to monetize it, and then figure out a way to give back. Um, I just think if you if you're doing something that you love, no matter what it is, um, you're going to live a happy life. And if you're giving back, you're going to live a fulfilled life. It's just mm-hmm. it's just an important part of the way I live my life. And mm-hmm. so therefore, um, I, I, it's, that's just sort of how I've always kind of done things. Yeah. The way it sort of happened is, um, uh, in Melbourne, getting involved with the space coast early intervention center, um, oh. which our, our, our buddy, Tim Wakefield helped out with and, and people doing charity auctions and autographed sports memorabilia being such a popular item in a, in a, in an auction, you know, if you go to a, a gala where, you know, somebody's trying to raise money, you know, more often than not, you see some sort of, you know, piece of sports memorabilia. So at, at a very young age, I said, Oh, this is cool. You know, I know Tim, you know, I'll give a couple pieces of my collection that are like extra. And they raised like, you know, I don't know, $500 or $800 on it. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so as I started with Palm Beach autographs and we started the business and started going, we really started gearing towards helping these auctions. And I mean, over the 15 years that we've done it, we've raised millions and millions of dollars for all of these charity auctions, because, you know, some people have the resources to be able to, you know, uh, get items and and do their own thing. But a lot of people going back to the collection side, they don't know how to obtain those items. They don't know how to, you know, acquire them. So that's kind of how everything started. And, um, and when we, we do that every, every auction that we do, uh, you know, you, if you look on our social media, we're constantly, uh, finding awesome charities to partner with people that are really doing impactful, important things in the community and, and we're happy to support them. That's great. So then part of it is you're getting their autographs for your business. It's making people happy, connecting with one of their favorite players. But then in addition to it, it's like, Hey, for if you would, if you wouldn't mind to raise money in addition to what we have as a deal with each other, can you sign a handful of other ones that will go towards such and such charity? Right. Is that kind of how it goes? We do that. Like that's my deal. Like, so Tim, uh, Tim does that through his foundation. Yeah. Um, We, we donate items to thousands of different charities. And then we also have a whole philanthropic arm. If you go to our website, there is a charities page. And so let's say you were doing a golf tournament and um, you you wanted to have a charity auction, but like, you know, you don't know anybody with any of the sports teams, you could click on the charities page and we give the charity a a really big discount. So um, if an item is retail at a hundred dollars, but the charity is going to get it for, you know, 75 bucks, they can get that item 
on a consignment basis. And then they'll be always tell them, say, if the cost is going to be $75 to you, Jason, start it at $150. So the minute someone goes over and bids, you've just made $75. And you don't but even have to pay up front for it at all. Yeah. Nope. So you're not having to invest thousands and thousands of dollars in hopes yep. that somebody helps you at your charity event. Right. Yeah. Oh man, that's fantastic. It's really, it's awesome. It's honestly, I, I, I it's a no hesitation. It's uh, aside from the only close second is, you know, doing the public signings and seeing little kids. Yeah. You see yourself. You yeah. Know, that's pretty rewarding. But um, I think greater than that is the philanthropic side. And we do that for uh, hundreds and hundreds of charities where they'll have us, these charities now, they have such a relationship with us. They're like, hey, listen, you guys come in, you do our live auction, you do our silent auction. We know you're going to raise an absorbent amount of money for us. You know, you know, we have kind of a, a system that we use, um, depending mm -hmm. on the, uh, you know, how big the event is, what type of clientele is going to be there. And, uh, you know, it's tried and true tested. So we do that <clears throat> with, you know, hundreds of charities nationwide now. Oh, man. I love that model. It's awesome. It's, it's the most rewarding by far. Yeah. Yeah. So people want to check you out palmbeachautographs.com palmbeachautographs.com we're on all the social media twitter instagram and that's pb and it might be it's pb autographs but if not google palm beach autographs yeah if you uh if you i think twitter i think is pb autographs and then instagram if you type in palm beach autographs you can give us a follow we put a lot of fun content out there you know we're not we don't just try to sell things we use the comment for like kind of look behind the curtain we yes, right. kind of do a lot of that. Like every time we do signings, we like to do live videos with the guys that we're cool with. We do little Q and A's. Uh -huh. We kind of like to show the process. Um, yeah. you know, funny stuff along the way, uh, you know, really fun, uh, you know, fun things that we get to experience. We like to share that with everyone. You know, we don't want to be the only ones that, you know, get to enjoy that experience. So um, we try yeah. to put out a lot of really cool content. So if you like sports, sports memorabilia, you know, definitely give us a follow. And if you have any questions, you know, yeah, get us up in the, the DMs. And yeah, to buy, to buy some cool autographs of a sports hero or and or to check out the charity section and be able to partner yeah. with you guys in that way. Uh, I, by the way, you mentioned Tim Wakefield. For those that are listening and don't know who that is, to some, he would be known as the home run hitter from Florida, Florida Institute of Technology, now known as Florida <laughs> Tech. Uh, but exactly. to most others, to most others, the knuckleball pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. Right? Yeah. I mean, what an incredible career and path, you know, he's had. You know his story about being in the outfield, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was done. They were going to cut him. Yeah. And the guy says, you know what? I saw him messing around out there throwing a knuckleball. And the guy has had a brilliant career and won two World Series rings. And, you know, he's still involved in baseball. Uh, he, to be 100% honest with you, and I've told Tim too, um, you know, I credit a lot of, I, I think people come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. You, you're an example of somebody that's coming to my life for a lifetime, you know? I mean, mm we've been friends since we're kids. There's been times where we haven't talked, you know, for a long time, but every time we jump on the phone, we, you know, catch right back up. So you're another person, yeah. I would say that, but, uh, you know, Tim Wakefield, um, definitely, you know, he opened that door to, for me to see space coast early intervention center and the efforts that they're doing there. And it, it changed my heart. 
um, being yeah. a part of Space Coast, being a part of those kids' lives and those families' families' lives, and you know, now being an adult and having a family of my own, um, yeah. you know, I look at the parents uh, as much as um, as the kids. You know, people yeah. that are really going through adversity, like real, real adversity, and uh, having instant perspective on what's truly important in life. And uh, I credit Tim. I've told him, you know, thank you for introducing me um, to that because that's kind of opened up. That kind of changed my course for sure with, you know, following my passion, doing what I love and really understanding the importance of giving back because, you know, he told our mutual friend, Betsy Farmer, the moment he makes it, he's going to, you know, give back. And, and he did. And he's, mm. uh, you know, changed Space Coast Early Intervention Center and built it to what it is now and, you know, helped, you know, thousands and thousands of families and thousands of kids with special needs in Brevard County and Brevard County and Space Coast. So, um, yeah. You know, he's been he's been a great friend and super influential in my life for sure. And I, I'm, yeah, that was the first that was your first real ongoing connection with this world. I mean, other than just seeing a player and asking, it was like he treated you like you were a full adult that belonged to be a, you. You were supposed to be part of this endeavor and you were you were with the big boys and you were still a late teenager. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you, you remember my mom dropped us off that first time we went. I couldn't even drive. <laughs> I was 15 I was 15 years old and I think I think it was me you and, and Jason Flatley and yeah. and you know you walk into this room full of adults and you know it was a gala setting and um you know our families had known one another and yeah that's exactly really well said how you put it he just he sort of welcomed me in with with open arms and um you know I it's like I almost felt like I don't know if he feels this way but I almost kind of, I've almost kind of looked at him as like, like a big brother, you know, in, mm -hmm. a, in, a, in a little bit of a way, like, you know, he was, he was doing, he was very successful with what he was doing and he, and he knew he was successful and he was taking a big portion of his, not only his time, but a big portion of his money yeah. and he was putting it right back into the community. And it really resonated with me at a very, like you said, in, in my young teens, I thought, man, this guy is, you know, and there's hundreds and thousands of these guys all over the place, but for him to really put his money where his mouth was, and not only that, but he sat in at every board meeting. He was very, very involved. He wasn't doing it and he still doesn't for himself. Um, but he was, uh, he, he I, I credit him with, for a big, big portion of, of kind of what's sort of led me down this path with my business in doing it and really following it and the philanthropic side of it. He plays an extremely important part in my in my journey, a reason, a season. He kind of checks all three. You yeah. Know, a reason, a season, and a lifetime. So. Right. Oh, that's beautiful, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that sure was fun for me. I hope it was for you. If you're into that kind of stuff and you want to maybe look on their site, palmbeachautographs.com, and take a look if you want to buy some of that stuff, or maybe you want to try to raise money for a charity that you're involved with or you work at or you just want to raise money for something that you find important, you can connect with them and see if you might be able to have some sports memorabilia auctioned off and all the funds go to a charity of your choice. You don't have to actually invest your own money on the front end so there's no risk involved in that i think that's phenomenal uh, check them out if you go to their website and you can't really figure out how to get connected in that way just uh, let me know and i'll connect you directly with martin 
And uh, thanks for listening. And thanks again for uh, your support. There are many of you that give a dollar a month or more to the support of this podcast, to support my work at Things About Things. Thank you so much. Thanks for the microphone that I'm speaking into now and the computer that I'm using and the fact that I'm uh, partnering with a a videographer and editor to make a video teaching short that we're getting closer and closer to uh, hopefully finishing up. I've been working on it with him for over a year. Hopefully that's going to come out here in this next couple months. Uh, And it's only possible because of patrons of the podcast. If you want to become one of those patrons and give a dollar a month or more, uh, there are all sorts of little uh, rewards that you can get depending on what level that you choose to support. You can go to patreon.com slash things about things. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash things about things. And seriously, every dollar counts. It really helps me to be able to continue the work of this podcast. So you can go to patreon.com slash things about things. And remember, you can go to palmbeachautographs.com. And as always, you can go to thingsaboutthings.com for more things. Thanks.